All right. Well, we're going to have our boys and girls dismissed out. Why don't you come up here, boys and girls? We haven't done this in a while. Come up to the front. And uh, I want everybody to see all the boys and girls here today. We have so many wonderful children. And I uh, want to pray with them before they go to their class. And uh, so thankful for Brother Josh and Miss Anna who do such a great work with the boys and girls on Sunday morning. And on Wednesday night, a lot of these boys and girls are here for Awana Club. And uh, they are memorizing scripture and learning songs and playing games together and having a great time. So glad for them. Let's pray. And uh, then we'll dismiss these boys and girls to their class. Father, we thank you for these children. We thank you for the gifts that they are to us. And we think of even the new babies that have been born uh, to families in our church even this past year. And looking forward to number four here coming very shortly. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and family members and friends and church members work to encourage these boys and girls, to train them, to lead them towards a relationship with you. I pray that you would be with our children as they hear your word, as it's taught and preached to them this morning, that you'd work in their hearts, that you'd work in our hearts this morning as well as we're here looking at your word together. Lord, use us as we minister to these little ones. We love you and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, boys and girls, you can go. And uh, let's take our Bibles, if you're in here, and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis will be there together starting out this morning. I'm so thankful for the family that God has given to me. Thankful for my wife. She's not able to be here today. Micah's homesick. And uh, hopefully, she's, we're going to have to do the switcheroo this afternoon because she's speaking at the ladies' shower, at the baby shower at the, for the ladies. And then uh, I'll be back tonight. So we'll be switching back and forth, taking care of the kids. And I'm so thankful for the wife and the children that God has given to me. The Bible says in James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And as we look at God's word this morning, and as we think about the family, and we think about being thankful for our families, we're going to see in the book of Genesis God's model or his plan for the family and what it's supposed to look like. And it's interesting that the family was the first unit or institution created by God. You know, God created the family before there was any government. He created the family before there was a church. He created the family uh, from the very beginning. As he made man and then he made woman there in the Garden of Eden, there in those first six days of creation on day number six. And uh, when he finished making it all, we read this, or Freddie read this a few minutes ago, God said everything that he had made was good. So I know that family is good. God says it's good. And it's a blessing, and we want to think about that this morning, and, and I hope challenge you this morning about the area of family, because the reality is, if we look around us, some of us may be very happy with our families, love our families, others of us may look at our families and say, there's some real problems. You know, you can have a lot of fun in your family. Several years ago, one of my boys said to me, Daddy, I'm thinking about God, I wonder what his beard looks like. And I said, how do you know God has a beard? And this was his very logical response. He said, well, they 
tore out Jesus's beard when he died on the cross, and so God must have a beard. And I said, wow, that's good thinking. Of course, he wasn't thinking that Jesus had a body and God is a spirit and all these things, but it was still an interesting conversation, and Shandy and I had a, had a good laugh about that. Somebody said one time, a family's kind of like brownies. Most everyone's sweet, but there's sometimes a few nuts mixed in. And uh, maybe you're the nut. I don't know, but maybe I am. But anyway, I'm thankful for a family. But even as we look at our families and we look around us and think about our families, there may be things that we struggle to be thankful for. Say, you know what? My family's not perfect. We are mostly nuts in our family. Or, you know, I wish I had more of a family. I don't have a family. There's a lot of different ways that we can look at family and think about family. And so while family can be a wonderful topic of conversation, for some people can also be a very difficult topic of conversation for other people as they think about the struggles and the difficulties and things in their family. But when it comes to thinking about the family from God's Word, we want to just start at the beginning. And that's what the book of Genesis is about. And the beginning of it is all about the beginning, about creation, about God's plan. And so this morning, as we begin to look at this, I want us to start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Freddie already read to us these verses, but let's look back together at them quickly here. Genesis chapter 1, and let's see. Verse number 27. We'll start there. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So he begins by establishing this family, male and female. This is a man and this is a woman. This is how God planned it. This is how God ordained it. And this is his plan for the family today as well. He, didn't, he created a man and he created a woman. Very distinct genders and distinct on purpose with distinct purposes and distinct plans for their lives. And even in the world that we live in today, of course, people try to blur those lines. People try to cross those lines. People try to say those lines shouldn't even exist. Folks, we're not trying to be mean to say they exist. We're just trying to say what God has already said about how it should be. And you know, that should be our plan in every area of our life, that it should be our goal to just agree with what God says and obey what God says. It's not our job to make up a new thing of how it should be. The people that would try to do that are people that would try to say, God doesn't exist or God doesn't matter. And yet, as we look at Scripture, we know that God matters. We know that God exists. God created everything in this world. He created you and He created me. And as He says in this verse, He created man and He created woman. And it says that in verse 28 that God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So his plan there for the family starts with a man and a woman. And then he says, Go and be fruitful. Have children. I'm so thankful for the children that God has given to many of us. And yet even this area is something that can be a struggle for people at times. The couple that's unable to have children, the couple that's struggling to be able to have a baby, and they really want to have a baby. And of course, we look at that, and we would say, you know what? This is a result of the struggle in this world. There's sin. There's a curse. There's difficulty. It doesn't mean that you're living in sin because you can't have a ch child necessarily. But our bodies aren't perfect, right? And sometimes our bodies have problems, and it doesn't always function like we want it to function. And yet, again, going back to God's original plan was for man and woman, 
marry and have children. And then he says, and replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And then God speaks to man, and he says, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth. Every tree in the which of the fruit of, the, of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and every thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. God's saying here, I've given you the earth, I've given you the animals, I've given you the plants. It is your job to subdue it, to take care of it, to manage it, to steward it is a good word, I think. All that God has. And then he finishes in verse 31. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So let's think this morning at God's plan for the family. What is God's plan for the family? Well, it starts, as we said, with a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And why did God create that marriage relationship in the beginning of a family? What is it for? Well, as we read down in the book of Genesis, we can find some of that out. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. It says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And none of the single men said amen. I don't know. I, th I thought I'd get a big, rousing amen right there. But, man, wouldn't you agree it is not good to be alone? No, amen. We, we are thankful for the companionship and the relationship that we have with our wife. And that's why at least most single men that I know are looking for that relationship as well. Why? Because God said it was that way. It's not weird, it's not abnormal, it's the way God created it to be. Now, if people taken that and twisted it and used it for their own purposes, have men taken advantage of women, if all those things happen, yes. And that's because we're sinners. It's because we do wrong. But that's not how God's plan was for it to be. That's not what God's purpose was. God said, Man, it's not good for you to be alone. And he said, I'm going to give you somebody. Notice, he says, I will make him and help meet for him. I would say one of the very important things that God has created a family for is as a means to help one another. Wives help husbands, husbands help wives, and we can carry that on down. Children help their parents, and parents ought to be helping their children, right? It just kind of flows down through. That we are there to, in a sense, complete one another. You all know I'm not a perfect person. Shandy may be a little closer to perfect than I am, but uh, she helps me a lot. I'm able to be here this morning because I have a wife, because I have a sick son at home. And she can stay home and take care of him today. And this afternoon, she can be here and speak to the ladies because I can stay home and take care of the sick child. It's wonderful to have a family that helps one another. Now, I realize in talking about a subject such as this, there are families that you say, well, we don't have a man in our home. There isn't a wife in the home. It's not all perfect. It's not all set up. What about us? And I would say, remember this principle. One of the reasons for family is to help one another. I'm so thankful for a family that helps and serves one another. 
The Bible speaks of this as we think about the wife serving the husband, the husband serving the wife, and each helping to meet the needs of one another. And I would challenge you about this. As you think about your family, whether it's perfect or not, whether it's complete or not, whether it's exactly how you imagined it to be or not, look for ways that you can serve one another. You want to have a better family than you have right now? Serve one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Find ways that you can serve somebody and meet a need that they have in your family. We all deal with selfishness, don't we? We all deal with pride. We all walk around and say, well, I'm tired, or I'd want this, or I want that, or, you know, wife, come rub my feet, you know, fix me something to eat. Sometimes the men, can, we can be stereotyped as those kinds of things. Let's look for ways that we can help and encourage and serve one another. And that brings me to the second idea here. Not only is a family a means to help one another, but it's also a method or a way to be able to encourage one another. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, he's speaking about your wife, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Wow. That's an interesting verse, and then he has to tack on the end of it for us that your prayers be not hindered. Men, do you want your prayers to be hindered, or do you want God to hear your prayers? I want God to hear my prayers, okay? So what must I do if I want God to hear my prayers? He says, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Take care of her. Understand her needs. Man, it's not okay to just say, well, I can't understand women. They're impossible to understand. No, it's your job. You don't have to understand all women. You just need to understand the one woman that you're married to. And it may take some time, may take some practice, may take some study, may take some learning. Find out what her favorite color is. Find out what her favorite flower is. We, we, we're all tested on this, some of us, Thursday night. We, uh, 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 some of us from the church got together and, and we went out and had dinner together Thursday night. And if you missed it, I'm sorry, we'll be doing something like this again in the spring. We're going to have a, a, a little family conference, and we're going to have a speaker come in. It'll be a, like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a little bit longer and more stuff going on. Hope you can take part in it. That'll be, I think, in April. But Thursday night, we went out, and, and Taylor, our speaker for the past week, our evangelist, he came and spoke to the group, and we had a bunch of adults there, and we played a game. And we passed out a questionnaire to all the couples. And they had to fill out answers to questions about each other. Things like, how many cousins do you have total between the two of you? Man, some people just put question marks. <laughs> I don't know. Or some people said, it's too many to count. <laughs> some, I, I just guessed 36. I was My wife thought it was 34. So between the two of us, we were close, but we didn't get it right. We had questions like, what is your, your mother-in-law's birthday? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I, I wasn't allowed to pull out my phone. I do have it in my calendar on my phone, but I wasn't allowed to do that. We had all these fun questions that we had to answer, and then we brought up all the winners. Now, there was one couple that somehow got every question right. 
they might have been helping too much. I don't know. They, they might have cheated. I hate to accuse them of that, but I just looked and I said, I don't know. But anyway, no, they got them all right, and a couple other couples got most of them right, so we pulled them all up front, and then we gave all the wives a little whiteboard, and all the husbands had to stand behind them, and we would ask the question to a wife like, if you could get rid of something of your husband's, what would it be? One thing, and the wife had to write down on the board what it was, and then the husband had to turn around and say what he thought she wrote on the board, and then she would flip it out flip it around and show it to us. We learned some very interesting things. <laughs> like one, hus- one wife wrote down something that she wanted her husband to get rid of, and her husband turned around and said something entirely different that he thought she would want him to get rid of. And she goes, that's a good idea. You should get rid of that too. <laughs> we had a good laugh about that. We learned that Brother Joe has a red bathtub. I didn't know that. You learn all kinds of interesting things about people. And uh, he, he was talking about his red bathtub. And that's what he thought he would, his wife would want him to get rid of if he could get rid of anything. Maybe you love your red bathtub. If you do, it's okay. But it's not, a hard, it's not always a negative process to get to know your spouse. It can be a wonderful and exciting thing. But it's something that is very important, not just to know their favorite color or know what thing they want you to get rid of or, or to know what, how many cousins you have between each other, but to know how each other thinks and feels and the struggles and the needs. Why? Because part of our job in a family is to encourage one another. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that talks about a threefold cord or a cord of three strands. It says a cord that's made of three strands is not easily broken. Why? Because one part of it gets weak, the other parts can hold it up and keep it strong. And that's something a family ought to do for the members of that family. It ought to be there to bear each other up and encourage each other and strengthen each other and help each other. Wives, when you see your husband struggling, come alongside him and pray for him. Encourage him. And men, if your wife is trying to encourage you, let her do it. Don't say, well, I just got to be a, go be alone. Got to run off by myself. Let her encourage you. Ladies, if you're discouraged, let your husband encourage you. Men, encourage your wives. Pay attention to what's going on in her life so you can help her. Just because... You've been out doing something all day and you come back and she's been taking care of kids all day. Don't think that your life is so much harder than hers. I say it all the time. I would not want to trade places with my wife. She works a lot harder than I do. And it's true. She works. She's up later than I am usually. She gets up earlier than I do sometimes. She's working all throughout the day. Why? Well, it's partially my fault. We had five kids together, right? We chose to do that. But you know what? That's part of being able to encourage one another. And again, you may look at your family and say, well, but Pastor Will, my family's not perfect. We have problems. Listen, your family around you may not be perfect, but that doesn't take away your responsibility to still encourage those people who are in your family. I mean, you may have the most messed up family in the world, but what can you do to make a difference in your family? What can you do to help somebody else, to serve them, to encourage them? 
Because ultimately, everything that God has created, He created for a purpose. And the end goal of it all is that we would bring glory to God. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And then he tells us why. Why is God worthy of all of these things? Why is God worthy of glory and honor and power? It says in the second half of that verse, For thou hast created all things. Did God create men? Yes. Did he create women? Yes. Did he create families? Yes. And it, the end of that verse says, And for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know, we can look around at our families, and they may be the perfect family. They may be far from perfect. You may say, well, my family's missing important pieces that God created to put there in the original family. That doesn't change your responsibility of how you're supposed to behave, does it? We can make excuses for our problems. We can give real reasons. And I understand I'm not saying an excuse in a negative sense like, it is a real challenge if you don't have all the parts of your family. I understand that. But we still have a responsibility to live as God would have us to live. And I believe we'd have much better, stronger families. We'd have stronger, a stronger church. We'd have a stronger country. We, we'd have a much better world if each person took their own responsibility before God and said, before God, I'm going to do what I should do. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I'm going to be the man that God wants me to be. Or for the ladies, I'm going to be the lady that God wants me to be. I may not have a husband. I may not have the husband who's the best husband, but I'm going to be the wife that I should be. And husbands, you may say, I may not have a wife or may not have the wife that is the best wife for the men, but I'm still going to be the man that God wants me to be. Honor them, love them, help them, encourage them with the goal of bringing glory to God. A family that walks with God will be characterized by help for one another, by encouragement, and by glorifying God together. And let me just encourage you a little bit with this thought. Sometimes we get encouraged by positive things, sometimes by negative things. I hope this makes sense. A little bit of a backwards encouragement here. Notice the first family. It was Adam and Eve. They were put into a perfect environment, right? They had everything they needed. It never was too hot. It never was too cold. They had all they could need to eat. They didn't have to go out and work for their food in the sense of tilling the ground and stuff. They just go, it was growing. It was ready. It was ripe. It was there. What a wonderful world. And even in that absolutely perfect environment, what did they do with it? They still sinned. They still rebelled against God. They still fell to temptation. There was still selfishness as they turned away from God. And I would just encourage you, we don't live in a perfect world today, do we? Far from it. We don't live in the Garden of Eden today. No. And so when we have struggle, don't be surprised, right? It's a real thing. But we can know that we have the Lord to help us. And that's what I want to help you understand next. Let's think about the family's response, the first family's response to God's perfect creation. 
Turn over, if you will, another page or so in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So again, they're living in this perfect place. The Garden of Eden is there. They have everything that they could want. But in verse 3, or verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent, he was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, if God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So here they are, they're in this perfect place. Satan comes into this serpent and he comes and he tempts Eve. He tempts Eve. And he begins to question what God had said. Now even in a perfect place, in the perfect Garden of Eden, God still had established some rules, hadn't he? He had said there's some things you should do. What were they supposed to do? Go and subdue the earth that they were supposed to have dominion over it. Adam had a job of naming all the animals. That's what he was supposed to do. And he also told them this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat from that tree. You can eat from any other tree, just don't eat from that one. Isn't it interesting that even in a perfect environment, there were still rules? That's a good thing for us to remember today. Rules are not always bad, are they? Rules, in fact, can be a wonderful thing. Because they can help us understand what is expected of us and what is right. And God puts in His Word for us today rules and commands and things that He wants us to follow. Why? It's not because God doesn't like us. It's because God loves us and He wants to keep us from things that will hurt us. And He wants us to bring us into things that will help us. And so God had made these rules and Satan comes and he tempts Eve about this. He says, you know, if you eat of that tree, he says, you won't die. You will not surely die die. But Eve, as she is tempted about this, she sees this tree and she says, it was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. Isn't that how sin often creeps into us? Oh, it's something that'll taste good. It looks really good. Folks, can our senses deceive us? Yes, they can. You say, but it seems to be a good thing. Is it in line with what God says? Just because something feels good to you or feels good to me doesn't make it good. But the problem is starting right back here at the very beginning because Eve is now trying to decide what's good and what's bad instead of letting God decide what's good and what's bad. You see, anytime we get ourselves in front of God and, and we try to make the decision about what's good and what's bad for us and act like, well, God doesn't understand. That's kind of where it gets to after this. Because then Satan says, God knows if you eat of this that you'll, you'll have knowledge and you'll become like him. You'll become like a God. He's tempting Eve with that desire to say, yeah, God's holding back on me. God's keeping something from me that would be good for me. Listen, in every area of your life, it doesn't matter, family, individual things, whatever, but if you get to the place where you start trying to make decisions apart from God, you are headed for trouble. 
You're already in trouble. And you are headed for lots of struggle. Why? Because you and I are not God. And it doesn't matter how good it seems, how good it feels, how good we think it is. If it is contrary to what God has said, it is sin. It's wrong. And until we come to that place in our life where we really understand that, like, if God says it, then that's the way it has to be. Because He's God. He gets to determine those things for my life. If we don't get to that place in our life, you're just going to struggle. You may even come to church, and I've known plenty of people over the years that have come to church, gone to church for years. I know I can think of a man right now this morning. None of you would know him. He lives in another state. Back in the state of Indiana at our church up there, he came to church for years and years. He still comes to church. But even after the services, he'll come up to pastor. When I was preaching there, he'd come up to me and say, well, but I'm just not sure I agree with what the Bible says there. And we look at him, we love him. I mean, he's a friend. We try to encourage him and try to help him and say, listen, it's God's word. If we disagree with it, we're disagreeing with God. And when we try to put ourselves in a position that we're disagreeing with God, it's as if we're saying, God, you don't really know everything. You're not really in charge of everything. I know better than you. That's a dangerous place to live. We're not God. Let's let God be God. And let's be faithful to do what He tells us to do. So the family's response to God's perfect creation started with disobedience, right? Eve disobeyed. She took the fruit. She gave it to Adam. He disobeyed right along with her, and he chose to take it. Over in the New Testament, the Bible tells us Eve was deceived, but Adam made a choice. Sometimes we get deceived into sin, right? We get tricked into doing something wrong. But how awful it is when you're not tricked. You know it's wrong, and you go and do it anyway. That's what Adam did. It's sad. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. They said, boy, if it wasn't for Adam and Eve, we would have it a lot better. They sure messed it up for all of us. And I said, that's a problem, though, when we think like that, because that's now us thinking we're better than Adam or Eve. The reality is, folks, I don't think any of us would made, have made a different choice than Adam or Eve did. And walking around saying, well, you don't know. I might have done that. Okay. But stop being so full of yourself, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we always get into trouble when we think more highly of ourselves than we should. The Bible's very clear. It says, humble yourself before the Lord. You don't need to lift yourself up. You don't need to talk about all the things you would have done and how you would have made it better than Adam or Eve would have. Be thankful that even though they sin, God still had a plan. Because God created it all perfectly, and then mankind messed it up. But that didn't mess up God's plan, did it? Because God's plan is bigger than even your mess-ups. That's a blessing, isn't it? Because you can make mistakes, and we can look even in our families and say, boy, we made a mistake here. We should have done this differently. I made a wrong choice there. I went contrary to what God wanted me to do here. And we could make a list and write it down. And it, for some of us, the list might be really long. But praise God, just because your list of mess-ups is long, God still is on the throne. He still has a plan. He still can get glory even out of our mess. 
Whether you're coming this morning and you're by yourself, I have no family. Or you have a big family or your family's broken in half or whatever. I want you to know God still has a plan for you. He still loves you. And yes, even in the Garden of Eden, there was disobedience. Then that led to shame and guilt, right? As they realized what they had done, and God comes to speak to them. You can keep reading in Genesis 3 and see it. And Adam and Eve tried to make themselves clothing out of fig leaves. And they go and they hide out from God. Sin always separates us from God. Sin always brings guilt and shame in our heart. It causes us to try to push away from God instead of drawing near to God. The Scripture is very clear when the Bible says, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. But what keeps us from God? It's our own sin. It's our own selfishness. It's those things that we've done, those choices we've made. Folks, don't make excuses for your wrong choices. Just admit them to God. He already knows. Admit them to Him it results in guilt. But think about our response many times, some of us, to the gifts God has given us. There are people that grow up in homes with loving parents who then rebel and run away from it. There are people who, in this country, we have the freedom to worship God as we choose. And yet there are many people who refuse to worship God. How sad. Just because you have the opportunity to do right doesn't mean that you'll do it. God has given us the completed Scriptures, the full Word of God, His entire counsel, everything He wants us to know. And yet some of us, we rarely open it up and read it. We don't memorize it. We don't study it as we should. What are we doing with what God has given to us? Well, we've seen God's plan or how He put the family together initially. Then we see how the family responded and they responded in sin and struggle. But I don't want to leave you in a hopeless place this morning because I want you to see God's plan for the future of the family. Do you know God has a plan for your family's future? He does. You say, well, I've messed it up really badly. Not any worse than Adam and Eve did. They, it was perfect. And then they brought sin into the world. I mean, I don't know how you can mess it up worse than that. They, their children, we learn of Cain and Abel. Cain murdered Abel. One son mur murdered the other son. This was a really bad family situation. But God had a plan, even in that really bad situation. And it's wonderful because God begins to reveal that plan to us right there in Genesis chapter 3. Even as he's dealing with the sin of Adam and Eve, and he comes to them, and he speaks to them about their sin, and he talks about the judgment. Look at verse 14 of Genesis 3. The Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Look down, if you will, 
at verse number 17. He says unto, I'm sorry, verse number 15. He says unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply, I'm in verse 16, I'm sorry. <laughs> I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Verse 17. Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So how does God deal with it? What's his plan? Well, he first speaks of judgment. There's a curse, isn't there? He pronounces a curse upon the serpent. He says that the woman, you're going to experience pain in childbearing. He says to the man, when you go out and work in the fields, there's going to be weeds and thorns, and you're going to be sweating, and it's going to be hard, and someday you're going to die, and you're going to go right back to the dust that you came from. You say, wow, I always knew God wasn't very nice. But did you notice, even in my fumbling around of trying to give verses to you, that I skipped over one verse? Go back, with you, go back with me, if you will, to verse number 15. It says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Here it is. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now you say, what is that talking about? Well, if all we knew of the Bible was that verse, we wouldn't really know. But I'm so thankful that the Bible doesn't stop in Genesis chapter 3. That's just the beginning of it. Think with me. Adam and Eve, they had children, Cain and Abel. That was a bad situation. Then they had another son named Seth. They had other sons and daughters, and from those children, the whole world is descended out. Who ultimately came about as... The seed of the woman. It's interesting that they say seed of the woman and not seed of the man. Because normally in Scripture, it talks about the man's seed and not the woman's seed. Why do you think it might have been talking about the woman's seed in Genesis chapter 3? Why was God very careful to say it's the seed of the woman? Because the one that would be born as the seed of the woman was not born of man, but of a virgin. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And bear a child. Who was that child? It was Jesus. The seed of the woman conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. So, who's this Genesis 3.15? Who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. There's a big word that's used in some Bible commentaries. It's called the proto-evangelium. That means first Gospel. Proto meaning first, evangelium meaning gospel. This is the first mention of the gospel in the scripture. The gospel is good news. You know what the good news is this morning? That yes, you might be messed up. Yes, your family might be a mess. Yes, there might be struggle going on all around us. 
But there is one who came who can save you and save your family, that can give you hope and give you a future and give you a purpose for life. And clear back in the Garden of Eden, God promised that one who would come, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, who would come to seek and to save that which is lost, to save the world from their sin, and to bring them back into relationship with God. Remember, that's how it all started. God created Adam and Eve, and they had a relationship with him. The Bible says every night God would come to them, and he would talk with them in the garden. How special would that be to just walk and talk with God? That'd be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? Well, you know what? Even though that was lost because of the sin of Adam and Eve and because of later on our sin too, God has made a plan to be able to restore that relationship once again. You know what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be an opportunity for you and me and for everyone that's trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior to be able to walk and talk with God Himself again. To have a personal close relationship with him how wonderful is that and you know what we're not in heaven yet it's not as close as that yet but even today god has left us some other things to help us first he sent jesus christ his son so that we could have our sins forgiven and then later he gave the holy spirit as it talks about there in Acts chapter 2, as he gave the Holy Spirit, now as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. So I get to have a personal relationship with God again already. Isn't that special? And then he established the church in the book of Acts. And so now we have a body of believers. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. I have Him living in me. You have Him living in you. And all of us together are fellowshipping this relationship. What a wonderful thing it is. God still has a plan for the future of the family. He's not done. He's not done. Yes, there was disobedience. God brought a curse. There's judgment, but then there's forgiveness. There's the hope of future salvation. There's eternity that seemed to be lost, right? Adam, you're going to go back to the dust. But there's the possibility of eternity regained through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Here's my encouragement to you this morning. Whatever kind of family you come from, nobody has the perfect family. The perfect family was Adam and Eve. That was destroyed by sin. And ever since then, every family that's existed since Adam and Eve in the garden has had some problem, big or small, but every one of those problems has been caused by sin. That's why families split up. That's why children rebel. That's why people struggle and fall and mess up and fail. But God's not done. That's why even clear back, as He was sending them out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin, He made a way for them to have a relationship once again. I'd love to invite you this morning, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, 
to come as we finish the service and we pray to come. I'd like to talk to you or have somebody else talk to you and show you how you can have that relationship with God. We're all sinners. Every single person sitting in this room, whether you think so or not, you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. And that sin is what separates us from God, just like the sin separated Adam and Eve from God. But God has made a way for your sin to be washed away, to be cleaned up, to be wiped away. And God says when He forgives your sin, He puts it as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says He remembers it no more. What a blessing that is. Would you turn to Christ today? And then this is the encouragement. Maybe say, Pastor, I already know I have a relationship with Jesus. Are you thankful for what God has given you in a family? Are you praying for those members of your family that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Their only hope is Jesus. The answer for their problems is Jesus, just like he's the answer to your problems. Father, we thank you for the families that you've given us, imperfect though they may be. We thank you for the relationships with the people that we have. Lord, I believe there may be somebody here this morning that doesn't have a personal relationship with you. And if there's somebody like that, Lord, I pray that today they would trust you as their Savior. Lord, for the person here this morning, maybe they are really struggling in their heart or burdened with the need of somebody else in their family. Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning that would say, I have a family member that is really struggling, and it's because they don't know Christ. Lord, help us to pray for our family members, to encourage our family members, to point them to Jesus so that they can have the relationship with him that we do. Lord, maybe there would be a family here this morning that husband and wife would just say, you know, we've gotten busy and selfish and struggling in our own areas of life, and we need to recommit our lives to you this morning. Lord, if there's a family like that, I pray that they would do that this morning. Maybe some husbands would get serious about taking care of and loving their wives and provide for them and, and just encourage them as they should. Maybe some wives that would say, you know what, I need to honor and help and love my husband as I should. Lord, whatever the needs are this morning, I pray that you'd work in hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you take a moment, just stand to your feet. The piano is going to play. If God's spoken to your heart in some way, I'd like to pray with you this morning. Maybe you want to come as a family and we can just pray as a family. Maybe you need to come by yourself and pray. Whatever God's doing, don't let what somebody else does or doesn't do affect your decision to follow the Lord. As the piano plays, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Let's keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. So those who may want to kneel and pray, or those who may want to come and talk to me can do that with some privacy this morning.